Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. All right, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Mothers, we are so thankful for you and uh, want you to know that we honor you and we appreciate so much uh, the work that you have done. There's no more important ministry in your life uh, than the ministry that you do to your kids. And so we have uh, a gift for you that we want to give every mother. And uh, you don't have to just be a biological mother. If you are a spiritual mother who uh, pours into the lives of others, uh, that is just as valuable and just as important. So we want you to take one of those gifts uh, on your way out. Got a, a little flower for you. First. So speaking of mothers, got uh, this little note uh, from a mom. It says, uh, my preteen is mad at me, and it could be because of any of the horrible things I did this morning, like stood in the kitchen poured coffee, stared out the window, said good morning, breathed. Yeah, I have, uh, I'm going through my fourth preteen right now, so that's funny to me. I know how uh, that goes. So um, here's another one. A husband uh, told his wife, said, honey, I'm just uh, amazed at you is that like every time we fight, you, you never fight back. I mean, how do you control your anger? And she says, well, every time I'm mad at you, I just go and clean the toilet. And he said, well, how does that help? And she says, well, I use your toothbrush. So, Works it out there. Here's, I got, uh, got one more for you. So uh, do you know why uh, T-Rexes are so angry? It's because their mothers never hugged them. So now you've noticed that what I did here is two things. Is I got some Mother's Day jokes, and I also had some anger jokes. See, because uh, I wanted to talk a little about anger. Anger seems to be in style right now. In fact, it's, uh, it's all the rage. Okay, so here we go. I want to talk a little bit about a time when Jesus was angry. He was really, really angry, like over-the-top angry. You already probably know what we're going to do is we're talking about temples and tabernacles uh, in this series. But go, if you have your Bible here or your phone, uh, pull it up to Mark 11, and then let's look at verse 15. And we see a time when Jesus is angry. And it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. Some say that people were using the temple as like a shortcut to get to the other side of town there. And as he taught them, he said, it is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, what an amazing picture of Jesus here. In John 2, it says that before he did this, he fashioned a whip. And so we've got Jesus, you know, he, he's, can you imagine like if I went over to like the farmer's market and just started throwing tables over? I mean, it wouldn't take too long until someone tackled me or punched me or did something, right? But Jesus carries so much authority. And I think that the people who were there knew that what he was doing was right. But you see the son of God standing there, the only one who could get away with such a thing, driving these goats and sheep out with a whip with so much power. You know, you've seen pictures of Jesus. I think this is a picture, a common picture of Jesus. And I, there's just no way that he looked like that. I mean, that guy couldn't even lift a table right there. Okay? But it's not, you've seen other pictures like, he's not like that either, okay? This, there was no such thing as steroids back then, and Jesus wouldn't have taken steroids anyway. So somewhere between those two pictures is what our Lord looked like when he lived here. 
But what is he so angry about? Well, first of all, it's what the temple meant. So if you think about the things that happened in the temple, like Hannah, when, when she goes into the temple, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is there, and that's the place where she goes and she cries out to God, just weeping before him in such a way that, that the prophet thought that she was like, she, she must be drunk. She's pouring her heart out so much. Or in Luke 18, Jesus tells the story about a tax collector who's just, it says he's beating his breast. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner trying to come to God in the middle of it. Because this is before Jesus came and before God made you his temple, which we're going to talk about next week, is what it means to be the temple of God. But before that happened, this is the one place that people can go to make sacrifice for their sin. The one place where they can know I am right with God again. And Jesus, in fact, when he was 12, maybe 13 years old, we don't know for sure, uh, his whole family goes up to Jerusalem and then the whole convoy leaves and they don't know that Jesus isn't with them. And Mary and Joseph, they come back in a panic after a day. And we, like, they said, Jesus, we couldn't find you. Why have you done this, done this to us? And what does Jesus say? Don't you know this is where I have to be? Don't you know that I must be in my Father's house? And it's just a reminder to us that anything that God starts any foundation, any, any institute that God lays down, we, we need to treat it with just sacred and it's special. And so you think of these other institutions that God has set down, like, like mothers, like family. It's sacred. We need to treat this with respect. Marriage, God, God started that. He instituted that, that we need to treat that with respect. The church is something that God started. That's a holy thing. You are the church. This is an important thing. The temple, of course. We see that this, is, this matters to God, these things that he starts. And before Jesus made us the temple, this is the way to come to God. So why is he so angry? Well, there's a number of things. And I think the first thing that I want to talk about here is that God is angered by anything that will prevent others from coming to him. I want to show you this uh, little passage in Acts. And, and the church is uh, struggling because they have all these Gentiles, all these non-Jews who are becoming Christians. And they don't know what to do with them. And there's this big debate, should we have them get circumcised or not? And the Gentiles aren't real excited about getting circumcised. And then this is what James says in uh, Acts 15, 19. Catch this, this is really, really good. This is, uh, so he's the leader of the church there. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult for people who want to repent, people who want to come to Christ. Let's not make it harder than it needs to be. Now, if you look at, I think we've got a picture of the temple here, if you bring that up for me, and you see the courts, and if you can make that as big as possible, I'd appreciate it there. And so you'll see that we've got um, the gate beautiful out there, and then right behind the drum case uh, there is the uh, court of, there we go, thank you, is the Gentiles' court. All right, and so you have to go, if you, you want to go into the court, you go through the gate beautiful, but only Jews are allowed to go through the gate beautiful there. And so, in fact, there were signs that they've actually, archaeologists have found signs that say, upon death, uh, those who enter here will be responsible for their own death if they go past this, if they're not Jewish. Okay, so this, is, this Gentile court is the only place that Gentiles can go to worship God. 
Now, some people think it was there in the court of women where this marketplace was. Some people think it was outside in the, in the court of Gentiles. I actually think that was probably bleeding over into both places here. But see, this is the only place that the Gentiles can go to meet with God. And how are you going to cry out to God? How are you going to pray to God? How are you going to connect with God when you are in the middle of a marketplace? I mean, what an offense. Here you are, you're trying to find God, and, and they've just got a big market going on right in the middle of it. And, and you know, people stop going to church for much smaller things than that, don't they? People get offended with the church for things that are a lot, I mean, like the color of the carpet almost. I mean, there's things like that that people get mad at, like, okay, I'm, I'm done. And, and that's, how, that's how we are. You know, we've all been put off by these little tiny things. I can tell you a story. Of uh, one way, I've been put out. There's a restaurant that I used to go uh, to like a lot here. And then my daughter, my oldest daughter, Madeline, um, it was, I think, her 17th birthday or something like that. And so we went into this restaurant and um, I, I said, Hey, it's her birthday. You know, can she get one of those free desserts and you guys sing and all that kind of stuff? And uh, they said, Yeah, but we need to see your driver's license. I was like, Okay. And so she gave her driver's license there, and it was like six days away from his birthday, her birthday, and she said, um, they said, nope, not going to do it. And like, I was like, seriously? Like, I mean, I come here all, how much, how, what's the value of a customer to you, you know? And I was thinking, like, you're not going to give us a $3 dessert? So she was 17, Maddie's 25 now, I haven't been to that restaurant since. Now, I, need to, I know I need to get over it, okay? I'll go back. I'll see if for Mother's Day if that's where Gina wants to go even, all right? So I know that, but come on, don't, it doesn't take much to offend us, does it? And here they all, they have a marketplace right here in the middle. But, but see, it's a lot worse than this because many of the people who are coming, they're poor. And they can't afford to bring a lamb or they can't afford to bring a goat. So they have to, they have to buy a dove. And, and so, or two doves. And, and so then they go in there and they can't bring their own dove because uh, they've got this racket going on. And if you bring your dove, they're like, oh, that, this dove isn't perfect enough. You have to use one of our doves. And then they have this other racket where they're not going to use any of the Roman coins there because it bears Caesar's image. And they say, okay, well, that's idolatry. So you have to actually turn your money in. And anything you want to buy, you have to use a temple shekel, which is only good in this little place, Right? It's like, uh, like those little tickets you get when you play skeetball, right? I mean, you get more and more, and it's like, wow, look at this. I got a stuffed animal. It only cost me $350 if I add it all up. And, and so then they go, and, and, and they, they do this. But here's the thing. A guy comes in poor and can't afford it, and he comes in, and he can't afford a dove. And he can't afford the exchange rate. And what he wanted to do was to relieve this burden of sin that he has, and he has to go home still carrying his sin. No wonder Jesus was so mad. No wonder that made him so angry. In church, we need to be careful of the obstacles we put in the way of others. Let's not make it difficult for others to come to Jesus. My, uh, my wife, her whole family, she's got five brothers and sisters, so, and, and all of them are believers except one. Her one brother is a Buddhist. And uh, we were all together for, I don't know, some event years ago, and we were talking, and somehow we started talking about Israel, and we had like this little fight about what does Israel mean and how important is Israel, and we're kind of going off. And he's just looking at us, and afterwards he was so angry. He's like, you guys can't even agree on that. So I don't want anything to do with that. Look at you. And all I could say is like, wow, you're right. 
sorry. I had a, a friend who recently, uh, he goes here to this church, and he was telling me uh, that he, he's a pretty conservative guy, and he was making friends with this guy who was not conservative at all, a really liberal guy, and, and so they're connecting, and uh, his friend told him, he says, well, I thought Christians hated liberals. That's what his friend said. And he said, well, actually, I thought it was the other way around. And then the, he actually started sharing our mission of loving God and loving others. And, and, and the guy said, well, if that's really what you're about, if that's really who you are, maybe I should come check it out. Now, if your liberal friends think Christians hate liberals, we have a problem. Listen, I've got strong political leanings. I vote, please vote every single time. It matters. It has consequences, all right? But aren't we first citizens of the kingdom of heaven? And in the end, isn't the real solution for people to come to Jesus, to know him and love him wherever they stand? Let's not make it too hard for people to come to Christ. How about this? Fathers, whether you like it or not, your children are looking to you and you are the first representation of God the Father to your kids. Whether you like it or not, that, that you are giving an example of what God is like to your sons and daughters. So is God angry? Is he miserly with his time and his love? Well, what is God like? Let's not make it hard for our kids. Let's not make it difficult for them to come to Jesus. Mothers, we're teaching about the nurturing and the caring and the heart and the spirit of God here. And what are we teaching our kids? Let's not make it difficult for them to come to God. Let's make, not make it difficult for them to trust God. Let's not make it difficult for them to approach God. I've told, told you this before, but one of the things that I hate, and I hear it every once in a while, it drives me crazy when someone says, oh, well, that guy's supposed to be this great Christian, right? You ever heard that? Well, I thought you were supposed to be this great Christian. Let me show you. I'm going to show you some great Christians. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay, now just, just hang with me here, all right? Let me show you some great Christians. Chapter 6, verse 9. Okay, hold on with me. It says, so do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Okay, here's the whole list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But now catch this. And that is what some of you were. There's a list of some good Christians. See, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You want to know what a great Christian is? It's someone who understands that they need Jesus. You go over to Matthew here, and Jesus, in uh, Matthew 9, 10, it says, Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's house. Many tax collectors, listen, a tax collector is a traitor. It's an extortionist. It's a thief. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire, listen, Christians, we need to learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to, not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinner. Do you know what a great Christian is? It's someone who understands how badly they need Jesus. 
and our religion angers Jesus. See, here's the second thing. This is the other thing that causes them to put these tables over is all the religion there. And you know what religion is? Religion is simply our effort to get to God on our own strength. Mothers, on Mother's Day, I know one of the things that moms often deal with is mom guilt. I can never be good enough. You know, I can't. I messed up here. Listen, God doesn't like mom guilt. That is not of the Lord because that is all about your effort and our effort always gets in the way. I want to go back to Mark 11 here and I want to give you a little context for this turning over of the tables. So we're going to open it up a little bit and see what happened right before. So if you go to 11, verse 11, of Mark. It says, And Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. He looked around at, it, at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So the first thing we see here is that it's not just some rash decision. Actually, this is Jesus has been ruminating on this for at least a day, thinking about what he's going to do and, and knowing how he's going to respond. And then it says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in the leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And then we go into the part where we just read about him turning the tables over. Now, this is interesting. This is the one miracle where actually the only miracle where Jesus didn't heal or bring life. And we see later that actually this fig tree dies. It's the only miracle where Jesus brings death. Now, what, what's the problem? Why is he so mad at a fig tree? And you see that it, it, it's, this context is important, that the fig tree is sandwiched between we start with Jesus seeing the temple, curses the fig tree, then he cleanses the temple. And so I believe that the fig tree here, this is a picture of the religion of Israel in the temple. See, what it is, this fig tree, it has all these leaves, and it looks green, and it looks like it's life, but it's dead inside. This is the other thing that Jesus gets mad about. When you see him, like there's just anger that comes out towards the Pharisees. You know, he calls them like, you whitewashed tombs because you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of decay and death and your religion is worthless to me. And it is, is it any wonder when they throw away God and connection with God and they throw away the spirit of God and they start working on their own that sin starts coming in and there's greed and cheating and all sorts of stuff that just kind of swoops into the void where God's supposed to be. So what does that mean for us? It means that we need to be aware of faith and following God without the spirit of God. That when Jesus sees us coming to him in our own effort, our own religion, our own goodness, our own self-righteousness, he's just ready to turn the table over. And listen, it is so easy. The church has been doing it. We've been doing it for, for thousands of years where we replace the connection and the power of the Holy Spirit with our own efforts and our own rules and our own striving. And it is fruitless religion that looks good on the outside, but there is no real fruit on the inside because it is the fruit not of you, not of me. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And it can't come from anyone except the Spirit. You know, my, some of my favorite stories that I hear, hear often is not, I was a mess. It, it is, I am a mess. But you should have seen me before Jesus got a hold of me. I've told you that before. That's my story. 
Yeah, I know I've got, I've got issues. I know there's things I'm still working on, but boy, you should have seen me before Jesus got a hold of me. And religion, religion is what's left when the Spirit of God is pushed aside. In our churches, in our lives, in our homes, without him, without connection, without his leading, without his regeneration, without his help, all we have left is our effort, our rules, and our ugly religion, and Jesus is like, I don't want it. Turn that table over. Which leads us to another problem we see here, which is the amazing hypocrisy that he encounters. I mean, think about the hypocrisy. People are stealing and cheating other people who are coming to bring sacrifices for their sins of stealing and cheating. And they're making it difficult for them to do it. This is a den of robbers. Now, of course, we know that that's not the first appearance that that term comes. We see that in Jeremiah, Jesus is quoting Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 9. And God says, will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name? See, this is a holy, sacred place. Sarah taught us all about that last week. Didn't she do such a good job teaching us about how holy the tabernacle and the temple are which bears my name and say, we're safe safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, and here we see it, which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? Catch this, but I have been watching. I know. I see it. See, you say it's about me. You say it's about the ministry. You say it's about serving. You say it's about the temple, but really it's about you, and it's about your position, and it's about your will, and it's about you being king of the castle of your own life, and you have to decide, is this God's temple, or is it my temple, and is it dedicated to him, or is it dedicated to me? And the question we have to ask ourselves is, does our life really match up with our faith? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying be perfect. It's just, a, it's a powerful evaluation, though, to say, am I really living what I believe? I mean, I, I believe that God will guide me. I believe that God will lead me. Then why are you so controlling? I believe that God is my provider. Then why are you so worried? It just doesn't match up. One of the things that Gina often says to me, she says, you know, good intentions are worse than no intentions. What do you mean? Well, see, because good intentions make you feel like you've been good when you actually haven't done anything. Good intentions make you feel like, wow, I'm a really good person. Look at I wanted to do all these good things, and you didn't do a single one. It's better just to not even think that, right? But this is what I know you're thinking right now. We think that the solution to hypocrisy is to be better. I know you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, God, I just got to kind of gut it up here and I, I got to live up to the standard now. I got to quit being a, a hypocrite. I got to try harder. I know that's what you're thinking. I, I know that's what we want to do. Okay, I've got to make sure I am better. That's actually not the path out of hypocrisy. This is the real path out of hypocrisy. The real way out. If you want to stop being a hypocrite, this is how you do it. Be honest with your failures. Just be honest with who you really are. Do you notice that God wasn't mad at the sinners who were coming to the temple? He wasn't like, man, there is so much sin coming into this place right now. You have to do so many sacrifices. 
And they're just, I just can't believe just how reprobate you are, Israelites. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that they couldn't come because the religion was in the way. You want to get out of your hypocrisy? Be honest with your failures. And so we try harder. Okay, now I, I'm just, I'm not going to get angry. Okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I, 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 this time I'm going to let go of control. So much more powerful to come before God with an honest assessment. Lord, my faith is weak. Please help my unbelief. Father, I'm trying not to be so controlling, but I can't even control that. Here I am. Help me, Lord. See, we, th we think the command of what God wants is for us to try harder to be what we aren't, but the heart of God is actually just be real with who you are. Come before him with what's really going on. Those Jews in the temple, they were trying so hard to please God that they couldn't even see how broken the whole system was. And so I have a challenge to us, church, right now, and the challenge is to cleanse the temple of our hearts. And I would suggest that we should cleanse the temple of our hearts with the same passion and ferocity that Jesus cleansed the temple of the Lord. There's some of, listen, right now, we need to get into our hearts and we need to turn some tables over. We need to come in here and these attitudes that are causing distance between us and Jesus, it's time for us just to grab those things and throw them over. See, some of us right now, here's one that I think many of us are dealing with that, that I can fall into and just a, a despair with how the world is going right now or feeling threatened by the sin of the world, right? And see, I think it's time in my heart to turn that table over and embrace the hopefulness that I have of my faith in him. And instead of being angry at the sinners, and it's time to turn that one over and be concerned for the sinners, to be brokenhearted for what's going on, not so angry about what's going on. Some of us were trying, we're just trying to be so good. And Jesus would turn that table over and say, stop it, just be near. And yes, we turn from our sin. And yes, we repent of our sin. But doing really good things without him in the middle, that they're not good things. Always trying to measure up. Always trying to prove it. And God would say, turn that table over. Receive it. Receive what I have to give you. This hypocrisy of our own efforts and our own striving. We need to go to the temple of our hearts and just throw that thing over. Our religious efforts that's clouding the grace, the power, and the life that God has for us. The religious posturing that we do, trying to show other people like we're good, you know, we're a good Christian. Turn it over. Do you know that it actually pushes other people away? Do you, do you, know, do you know what the lost want? They, they don't want your perfection. They want your interest in them and they want your authenticity. I, okay, so I'm going to show you some of my brokenness. You know, you, you ever see like a family that they, they're just like, they got it together. This is like the perfect Christian family. And, and then you see like they have a problem or something goes wrong. And, and I know this is sinful, this isn't right, but there's a part of me that's like, oh, I feel a little relieved. I mean, I'm not glad it happened to them, but I'm just like, oh, thank God. I thought they were perfect. Thank God that they're not perfect either. <sighs> right? Your authenticity, just genuine who you are, your real care. I mean, that's the power. They don't want your religion. Some of us, we need to start forming a whip in our heart here. 
We start, need to start flipping some tables. We need to chase these ideas and chase these lies out and, and to repent, Lord. I'm sorry that I've been living under this because it's religion. It's not you. And it's time that we come back to this temple. It's what it was meant to be, a house of prayer. We come back that this is a place where I connect with God. This is the one place where I can go into the holies of holies and meet with the presence of God in worship. Time to throw all that other stuff and enter into his presence. Look at Isaiah 56, 7. Jesus quotes this as well. And Jesus says, these I will bring to my holy mountain. That's you. He'll bring you to his holy mountain and he'll give you joy in his house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And what he has for you is to come into his presence, to bring other people along, to not make it difficult, for us to lay down our hypocrisy and to lay down our religion, to lay down our striving, and just come and receive him for who he is as you are. And it's then that we find life, and it's then that we find healing, and it's then that we find the presence of God. So, Lord, I lay down my religion. I ask for forgiveness for my hypocrisy. And I'm sorry for my striving and my own strength. And I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us to draw near. Lord, every good and perfect thing comes from you, Lord. There is no good in us apart from you. But in you, Jesus, in you, because of your blood, we are whole, we are pure. We're made new again. So I thank you, Lord, for your precious blood, for your precious sacrifice that once and for all allows us to come into the Holy of Holies, to be in your presence. Lord, it is by your blood. It is by your sacrifice, Lord. Lord, thank you for making us good Christians because of what you have done, not because of what we have earned. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.